you go ahead and be seated. We're going to be in Matthew chapter number three. Uh, we're going to continue through through this book of Mark that's been such a great blessing, uh, describing the life of Christ and 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 what he he has done. Uh, while you turn into Mark chapter number three, let me let me give you just a brief review. Uh, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, spent some time in Egypt as a, a, a baby, came to Nazareth uh, and grew up, grew up in a little bitty place called Nazareth till he was 30 years old. At 30 years old, uh, Jesus left. There was a man by the name of John Baptist that was having revival services down in the lower part of uh, Israel down toward the Dead Sea on the Jordan River. He was preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm not him, but he's coming after me. Whose shoe latched, I'm not even worthy to latch. Are y'all with me? Jesus comes to him and he is baptized. Jesus begins his ministry. The very first thing that happens is the Holy Spirit comes upon him at his baptism. He is driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He overcomes Satan. Say amen right there. After that, he came out of the wilderness in the power, in the spirit, uh, and now he travels to Nazareth. He goes back home. And he goes into the synagogue. Now, keep in mind, keep in mind, this is the synagogue that he grew up in going to every single week. Are y'all with me? Uh, everybody in Nazareth knew him as the son of Mary and Joseph. And he walks into the synagogue and, and, and they give him the book Isaiah and he begins to read. And what does he read? This is no coincidence. This is no accident. The Bible says that he says in Luke four sixteen. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, now keep in mind, all them people know that this is talking about the Messiah. Are y'all with me? Everybody knows that this scripture is in reference to the Messiah. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, uh, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it again to the minister, sat down, and in the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said, he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, here I am. Here I am. Uh, this is the response. This is the reaction. Ain't this, ain't this Joseph's boy? Don't, don't we still have his brothers and sisters? Because he had half brothers and sisters. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Isn't this, isn't this the carpenter's kid? He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be God. And after Jesus uh, uh, reprimands them for just a little bit, this is their response. They try to throw him off a cliff. They try to throw him off a cliff. He escapes from there. He goes to Capernaum, Capernaum, 
He goes there to, to set up his headquarters, if you will, in the house of Peter, and he begins his ministry. He begins healing people. He begins changing people. He begins, he begins teaching. He, he begins preaching. And, and all, he just banishes sicknesses and illness and plagues. He casts out demons, and people are coming from everywhere. He begins to pick a fight with a religious crowd. And, and show them how wrong and how much they have, uh, uh, they have twisted Scripture to fit their own wishes and desires. And, and now we find ourselves in Mark chapter number 3. In verse number 20, he, we are well into, we are well into his ministry now. We're well into uh, uh, his, his, his preaching and his ministry of healing and casting out demons. And, and the crowds have gotten unruly. The crowds have magnified tens of thousands of people have just swamped him and surrounded him. And the Bible uses the word thronged him. In other words, they were just pulling at him. He couldn't even breathe. And according to the scripture we're fixing to read, we find that it has gotten so bad that the people are surrounding him and begging and, and pleading and wanting something from him so much that him and his disciples could not even stop long enough to eat. It has gotten crazy. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now let's read. Now let's read. Verse number 20. Are you there? Say amen. And the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, now I believe this is not just talking about his buddies, uh, those that he, he hung out with. It says those nearest him. That word friend there means the one near you. So I believe this included his family too that we'll see later on. And here they come to him. And they went out to lay hold on him. They wanted to, to seize him. That's what that means, to arrest him, to take him into custody. For they said he is beside himself. He's lost his mind. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and the prince of the devils casteth he out devils. And he called them unto him and said unto them, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. If Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. No man can enter into the strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Because they said, he hath an unclean spirit. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standeth without, sent unto him, calling him. And the multitude sat about uh, the, the multitude that sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked around about all them which sat about him and said, Behold, he said, Look at these. Behold, my brother or my mother and my brethren. For read it with me. 
For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. Dear Heavenly Father, bless your word. Bless your word. Use it to edify us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. A few, a few uh, months ago, me and, or, or Micah and I, uh, our, our Ugandan missionary now, uh, we were in Philadelphia. <clears throat> Don't recommend it, but we were in Philadelphia. And uh, we, were, we were training pastors up there, and, and I, that's the first time I've ever been to Philadelphia, and, and somebody, somebody told us about a, a uh, what, what are they famous for? What sandwich? Cheesesteak, cheesesteak. Uh, my buddy Brian Edwards told me about a place that had the best cheesesteak in Philadelphia, so we was going to try it. And, and we took our rented car and we went to this place and, and, and we walked up and, 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 and there was people standing in line almost to the door. And if you know your preacher, you know that dog ain't going to hunt. <clears throat> I ain't waiting that long. Amen. And I said, I said, man, I'm not waiting that long for a sandwich. And I looked across the street, directly across the street. And there was a Middle Eastern restaurant there. It was a, 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 a and I, 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 man, immediately I thought of Israel and the food they had there. And, and Micah had gone with me to Israel before. And I said, let's go over there. And maybe they'll have the same stuff we ate while we was in Israel. And so we went in and it was a, a Muslim restaurant owner. Uh, he was from Beirut. And, and so we, we ate our meal and, and so we were going to, we were going to practice telling our stories and sharing the gospel with this Muslim gentleman. And Micah said, I'll go, I'll go this time. I said, okay. And so Micah, Micah talks to him and he says, do you mind if I share my story with you? And he says, no, go ahead. Very hospitable, very friendly. And he begins to share his testimony about how Jesus saved him. And, 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 and the man began to grin. He began to grin and, and smile, you know, real politely. And uh, he, heard, he heard Micah out and listened to his whole story and all. And he said, well, let me tell you, he says, I'm a Muslim. We already knew that. But he says, I'm a Muslim. And he said, I believe Jesus was a good teacher. I believe he was a good teacher. I believe he was a good man. In other words, he wasn't what you Christians think he was. He wasn't God. He wasn't the son of God, but he was a good man. I believe he was a good man. Now, in this chapter, in this chapter, we're going to find the different responses that people had when it came to Jesus. And, and I want to show you how this, this belief in Jesus that this Muslim man had, it cannot be compatible with the Jesus of the Bible. If he was not who he said he was, he was not a good man. And, and are y'all with me? Because a good man doesn't claim to be God. Are y'all with me? This is, a, this is a conclusion that many have come up with. C.S. Lewis probably made it the most popular. But in the mid-19th century, the Scottish Christian preacher Rabbi John Duncan he formulated what he called a trilemma. Christ either, Christ either, one of three things had to be. He either deceived mankind by conscious fraud or he was himself deluded and self-deceived. He was just crazy. 
or he was divine. There's no getting out of this. Either he, he lied and he, 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 he committed fraud or he was just crazy himself or he was truly who he said he was. In 1936, Watchman Nee, Watchman Nee made a similar argument in his book, Normal Christian Faith. A person who claims to be God must belong to one of three categories. First, if he claims to be God and yet in fact is not, he has to be a madman or a lunatic. Second, if he is neither God nor a lunatic, he has to be a, a liar, deceiving others by his lie. Third, if he is neither of these, he must be You can only choose one of the three possibilities. If you do not believe that he is God, you have to consider him a madman. If you cannot take him for either of the two, you have to take him for a liar. There is no need for us to prove if Jesus of Nazareth is God or not. All we have to do is find out if he is a lunatic or a liar. If he is neither, he must be C.S. Lewis speaking in 1942, gave the argument its most memorable formulation. This is the one people remember the most. He was real frustrated with people trying to say Jesus was just a good man. He was just a good moral teacher. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the, the dude in India. Help me. Gandhi, Gandhi. Uh, Gandhi said, I love your Christ. I just don't like your Christian." He was saying Christ was a good man. He was a good moral teacher. We should follow the teaching. But he did not, he did not put together and agree that he was who he said he was, God. Well, C.S. Lewis says it can't be that way. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. His friends hear about what's going on. His family hears about what's going on. They travel the 30-something miles from Nazareth to come. Now, now imagine, uh, you, you got you to gotta really... You got to really put yourself in their shoes. Imagine if one of your uncles or one of your cousins or somebody related to you started going around telling everybody he was God and, and crowds become attracted to him. 
Now, you would, first of all, because of reality, you would think, well, this, he, he, something's wrong with his cat. Something is different. Now, imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine growing up and your brother, your half-brother, was perfect. Every response was right. Every reaction was holy. Everything he did was good. Man, how do you live up to that? Say amen. All of his, all of his brothers and sisters thought, this is an odd duck right here. He's got to be different. There's something wrong with him. He's just not the same as everybody. So all his life, he was probably considered a little odd, a little different. And now, now he is doing things that ain't nobody ever heard of. There's something wrong. And, and here's, the, here's the reaction. Here's the reaction of the crowd. His friend said he is beside himself. In other words, he has lost his. He's crazy. And meaning well, they want to come take him. If you have, if you have a family member that's, 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 that's got some mental issues or mental problems where they're, they're deranged or deluded, you want to help them. You want to come take custody of them and get them to a place where they can't hurt themselves or hurt someone else. You want, are y'all with me? And that's what's happening. His friends are coming and they're wanting to, they're wanting to take him and, and bring him into custody because they are thinking he's crazy. He's lost his mind. Nobody can claim what he's claiming and be sane. He's got to be crazy. It's like, it's, like the, it's like the man in the insane asylum. He was in, laying in the bed and kept saying, I'm Napoleon, I'm Napoleon, I'm Napoleon. And the man in the bed beside him said, who told you that? He said, God. The man beside him said, no, I didn't. <laughs> Say Amen you claim to be Napoleon or you claim something is wrong with you. Are y'all with me? He's crazy. He's out of his head. There's something wrong with him. So he's a lunatic. He's a lunatic. But then there's another reaction. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders that come down from Jerusalem, they have heard about the miracles. They've heard about everything. And they say, we can't say he's crazy because we can't argue with the miracles. We can't argue with the demons being cast out. They are recognizing that they're saying, it's kind of like Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus in John chapter number three? He says, we know that thou art a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou doest unless God be with him. What Nicodemus is saying, I ain't really sure who you are, what you are, but there's something different about you. And these, these religious leaders, in order to defend their own self, because you, you remember in the last two or three weeks we studied that Jesus was just pile driving them and, and showing them how wrong they are. So they're defending themselves and say, yeah, we recognize he's got power, but his power's coming from the, the devil. He's not crazy. He's demonic. He's lying. He's lying. He's crazy. This man's a nut. No, no, no. He's demon possessed. Yes, he's got power. Yes, he can kick them out. But he's doing it by the power of Satan. And then his mom and brother show up. Surely his mother's concerned about what's going on. Now, I'm not going to put her 
I'm not going to put her in the same category as the brothers because she knows who he is. If there was anybody on the planet that knew who he was, it was her. And so she's probably concerned for her son. But her brothers, his brothers, that's a whole different story. If you look in your notes, they would, they would tease him and, and try to goad him into doing things. Go back and read John chapter 7. You'll see what I'm talking about. Look what it says about his brothers, his own brothers. John 7, 5. For neither did his brethren, what? He's crazy. He's demonic. He's just not believable. He's just not believable. They didn't believe. His own brothers didn't believe in him. Now, thank God we know that changes later on. I'll show you. But Jesus is, he's got a situation. Now, now what do we learn from this? What do we learn before we go to point number two? What do we learn from this? Everybody's not going to be as excited about your Christian walk as you are. And sometimes even your own family can be an obstacle between you and your, the will of God for your life. There's going to come a time and a place, and everybody look at me. I promise you I'm going to be brief as I can this morning. But there's going to come a time in your place where you're going to have to choose. And you might even have to choose between God and family. There's going to be a time. Jesus said it so well. Unless a man hate father and mother and sister and brother, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And the word hate there doesn't literally mean like I, I hate oysters or I hate cottage cheese or, you know, that type. It means, the word means to love less. Say it with me, to love less. Jesus has to be priority. God has to be number one. No matter what, no matter who, Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus at 12 years old, he said, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. But they thought he was crazy. Number two, we see Jesus's response. Jesus's response. I love, I love how Jesus responded. They said he's doing this by the devil. He's casting out, yeah, he's got power. Yeah, he's done incredible things, but he's doing it by the prince of the devils. Satan himself is empowering him. And the Bible says, verse 23, you there? And he called them unto him. Those people, they were saying he was full of devils. Say, y'all, boys, y'all come over here. Come over here. And he said unto them, how... Can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom be divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house be divided against itself, the house cannot stand. If a Satan, if Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. So the first thing he does, we see the logic he explained. 
He said, this doesn't even make sense. You're not even, you're not even being logical. How in the world or why in the world would Satan fight against himself? He says, you're not even making sense here. It's amazing how he just brings a logical statement to their illogical conclusion. There's no way Satan can fight against himself. If Satan fights against himself, I mean, this everybody knows, everybody knows to, in order to conquer, you what? Divide. Divide to conquer. Satan's not going to divide himself. Satan's not going to fight against himself. What you're saying doesn't even make logical sense. We see the logic he explains. And then look here. Look at the lesson he explains. Look at the lesson he explains. No man, verse 27, no man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he will first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. Now, what is he saying here? This is the lesson he's given. Here is, here is who is in this verse. The strong man is Satan. Okay? The strong man is Satan. Satan is on this earth and Satan is real and Satan is strong. Satan is powerful. Satan has territories. Satan, now listen, listen, Satan has victims. Satan is in, you say, it's all these people that he's casting demons out of. They were, they were in the hands and the power of Satan. Are y'all with me? And he's the strong man. And so what he says, in order to take what Satan has, all these people, all these territories, in order to take what Satan has, he must be bound. In other words, he is a strong man, but there's somebody that has showed up that is. Somebody say amen. And Jesus is saying, I am binding Satan to take what he has stolen. And you cannot, you cannot take the spoil unless you bind the strong man. I'm here to cast them devils out. Say amen. And he is releasing the captives. He's binding the strong man. He is taking back what the devil stole. He said, I'm here. I'm here to deliver those who are captive to the strong man. That's why, that's, that's why this happened. It ain't Satan doing it. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Satan's not going to fight against himself. I'm here to bind him. I'm against Satan. I'm fighting against Satan to deliver those who are bound by him. And then he gives an incredible warning and an incredible truth. Not only do we see the logic he explained, the lesson he explained, but I want you to look at the loss, L-O-S-S, the loss he explains. He says, <clears throat> verily, now any time the word verily is found and Jesus is saying it, that means, that this is, what, this is what this means. Hey, pay attention. Pay attention. It's easy in a sermon. I'm 50 years old and I've been in church my whole life and I've been in some really exciting services and I've been in some boring services and I've been in some good preaching 
and I've been in some bad preaching, and I know it's easy to drift off. I need a witness. Y'all can admit it, I know. It's easy to start thinking about other things, and it's easy to think about, oh, what I got to do this week, preacher still preach, and my mind hit right here. He's saying, hey, pay attention. Verily I say unto thee, look, in verse 28, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation because they said he hath an unclean spirit. There are people, there are people who have told others that the unpardonable sin is suicide. They have told that the unpardonable sin is adultery. The unpardonable sin, and, 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 and the list goes on and on and on. And all of them are wrong. Every single one of them. Jesus is referring and he's teaching, he's sharing. He is doing, now keep in mind, when he was baptized, when he was baptized, who came upon him? The Holy Spirit. Every single miracle, supernatural act he did was through the power of the the Holy Spirit. Every single one. He never did a single miracle till the Holy Spirit came upon him. He lived his life completely, totally as a man depending on the power of the Holy Spirit in every act, in every supernatural act, every single miracle. Are y'all with me? And this is what he's saying. This is what he's saying. How many of y'all, how many of y'all know the, the, the job of the Holy Spirit? The job of the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. Jesus said it himself. In Luke chapter number 14, verse number 26. No, excuse me. Excuse me. Back up. John 16, 7. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Now, who's the comforter? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Preacher, what does this mean? It, it means that it's the Holy Spirit's job to convince you of the truth. The word blaspheme means to speak ill of or to uh, neglect or reject or deny. All of those things are, are in the same definition. Uh, to reject, deny. Now watch this, watch this. How many of y'all remember when Jesus was on the cross? When Jesus was on the cross, they were nailing him to a cross, and he says, now these people are killing Jesus. And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Why? For they know not what they do. Now here's what's taking place here. The scribes have full evidence of who and what Jesus is. 
They see the miracles. They have the scriptures. They have all of the prophecies that reveal who Jesus really is. They are standing before a mountain of evidence and they still reject and deny the Holy Spirit. God sent John to get their attention. They refused. God sent his son to get their, uh, their, their, their attention. They refused him. Listen, that could still be forgiven. Listen, they could be forgiven for not believing John. But the last line of defense, the last thing God's going to do is send the Holy Spirit to convict you of your sin, to show you of your real condition. And if you reject the last thing person God sends you, there's no forgiveness because there is no other way of salvation at all. And they are refusing under a mountain of evidence. They are refusing, they are refusing to believe who Jesus said he was. And when you have been given the truth and you have been given the evidence and the Holy Spirit has come into your heart and said, hey, believe the truth, believe the gospel, and you refuse, and you deny him, you cannot be forgiven. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying believe him. I'm saying trust in his word. Believe the Holy Spirit when he convinces you that you are a sinner and he is the Savior. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Everything can be forgiven. I, 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 somebody told me one day, I led a man to Christ that had, had, had killed, he killed his wife. He come in and walked in on his wife with another man and, and, and killed her. Went to prison, the whole thing got out of prison. I visited him, we, I, I spent some time with him and, and shared the gospel with him and he got saved. And I had a guy that was arguing with me. Oh, he cannot get saved. He cannot, he's going to hell. He killed somebody. In other words, that murder was the unpardonable sin. That's, that's not true. Adultery, same thing. I said, David committed both of them. But he broke his heart and he repented and he was forgiven. But if you deny the only way of salvation... There's no forgiveness. Are y'all with me? Then look at the last thing. Look at the last thing. We got time. His mom and his brother show up. Now keep in mind, Jesus is surrounded. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's elbow to elbow. Just stacked on it. I would have had a Conniption, say amen. I'm just telling you, if I'd have been in a crowd that size, they'd have tied me down. I mean, it just, I can't imagine just this just humongous crowd around them. And, and you know how you've seen it where someone way out there wants to get a message and they just start passing it down. Hey, Jesus' mother and brother's here. Tell him, tell him. And it just goes from one person to the next person to the, and it finally gets close enough to Jesus. He said, hey, your mama 
And your brothers are out there. They want to see you. Now, Jesus wasn't being rude here. He was teaching us a lesson. He said, listen, look around. You see these followers? You see these believers? This is my family. This is my family. You know, when he chose his disciples last week, we we saw he was building a new nation. Y'all remember that from last week? God took 12 of the sons of Jacob and build a nation and they failed. So he, now he's taking 12 disciples to build another nation. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Are y'all with me? The church. Well, now we see Jesus is building a new family. He said, look, these are my brethren. These are, these, this is my family. Now I want to, I want to say this before I give you the points, before I give you the points, I want to say this. I can truly say, honestly, that my spiritual family is probably closer to me than some of my physical. Well, there's no question. There is something that draws us together because there's something in me that is in you. And there is a connection and a drawing of our spiritual family. Now watch what, watch what Jesus says. Watch what Jesus says. He looked around about on them that sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Two things I want you to write down. Under the reality of Christianity, this is what we, we really under, we need to see. We see the reality in his response. The reality in his response. These are my family. The people that do the will of God, the people that follow me, the people that believe in me, this is my family. Then the reality in requirement, this is where I want to go. Luke 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and even his own life. Boy, I've lost a bunch of you. He cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and he was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. Read it with me. Read it with me. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath. I've heard, I've heard evangelists and preachers say, you need to count the cost. It's not what Jesus is saying. You don't need to count the cost because it's already been counted. Jesus is saying, this is what it's going to take to follow me. This is what it's going to be required to follow me. 
How many of y'all have ever built a house? How many of y'all will ever do it again? You remember meeting with that contractor and, 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 and you tell him, I, I want this and I want that and I want you to change this and I want to move this over here. And then, and then, and then you, you get down to the bottom line and he says, he slides the price over to you and you get that sticker shot and you, what? And it just blows your mind. And then when you finally get through the house, it's still three times what that was. Hello? Now he's saying, this is what it's going to cost. And you say, why? Well, let me show you. Because and then he goes line item. This costs this, and this costs this, and this costs this, and this costs this. Well, Jesus is telling us that he's sliding that paper over to us as a child of God. You need to understand something. That this Christianity that you're saying you have, it's not a casual thing. And he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to forsake everything. You have to forsake everything. You have to be willing to die for me. There can be nothing between you and me. There can be nothing more important than me. I have to be a priority in your life. And he brings up two illustrations. Building and battling. Building, a man builds a tower. He's going to sit down and figure out what it's going to cost so he don't start building and then runs out of money and can't finish. But then there's a man who's going to figure out whether I need to go work on a treaty or if I have enough to whoop them people coming. Say amen. And what he is saying here, Jesus is saying, I'm building a kingdom and I'm fighting the devil. And listen, I know what it's going to take to get the job done. I know what it's going to take to build the kingdom. I know what it's going to take to defeat the devil. I know what it's going to take to get the job done. And if you're going to follow me, you have to deny everything. There can be nothing more important than me. Not one hobby. Not one possession. Not one person. Nothing can be more important than me. I have to be first. There's too many people in this room that this thing you call Christianity is just a side part of your life. It's just something you've added on to everything else that you do. And God's saying, I have to be the dead center of your life and everything else goes around it. This is my family. Those that do the will of God. And by the way, Jude and James, his brothers, after the resurrection, you know what they said? I'll, I'll let you go look it up because I'm out of time. But the very first verse of James and the very first verse of Jude, you know what they both say? James, a slave of Jesus Christ. You remember them boys that didn't believe in him? Jude, Jude, a slave. It used the word servant, but it's the English word servant, but the Greek word is doulos, which means slave. Of Jesus Christ. John says this. First John, let me read it. I know I'm late, but I, I, I need you to read this. First John chapter 2, verse 3. You there? And hereby we do know that we know him. 
if we keep his Now, I need everybody, everybody read loud. He that saith, he that saith. There's a lot of people saying a lot of stuff. In other words, there's a lot of people claiming to be Christian. Watch this. He that saith, I know him, and is a Verse 5, but hereby know we that we are in. You know who he said his family was? Those that did the will of God. Everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. I'm going to say this and we're going to pray. Look at me, fair of you. Talk is cheap. It's time we stop talking a good game and actually believe he was who he said he was and put him where he truly belongs as the number one priority in our lives. And all God's people say it.